Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Welcome back to the Bit. It's just me today while I talk about a game that Nintendo's managed to keep alive for the last four years or so, Hyrule Warriors. It's a spin-off of the Legend of Zelda series, and it works a lot like Koei Tecmo's Dynasty Warriors series. Those games often have you running a single character through mobs of enemies, beating them up with stylish combos and accomplishing different objectives, all with a large roster of characters, both good and evil. Hyrule Warriors is basically that, but with Zelda touches. Characters, items, environments, monsters, a whole ton of references to Zelda. The game came out for the Nintendo Wii U in 2014, but two years later, the Nintendo 3DS version came out, Hyrule Warriors Legends. This added even more content and features before finally we get to January of this year when Nintendo announced Hyrule Warriors, the definitive edition for Nintendo Switch. So with more Hyrule Warriors on the way, I thought I'd take the time to gush about it on the BitCast. Hyrule Warriors isn't a game that I'm very good at. I've never really played any of the Warriors games before. But I've been a Zelda fan for as long as I can remember, so of course I'd give it a shot. I gotta say, it was pretty fun. And stressful. This might have been one of the more stressful games I'd played in recent memory. The trailers make a big deal out of mowing down the legions of enemies, but this isn't just a mindless button masher. The game gives you all those objectives that I mentioned. In Legend mode, which is basically story mode, you've got to keep an eye out on your home base, keep certain allied characters alive, target certain enemies before they make things harder for you, and so on, stuff like that. The stages in Legend mode give you a series of objectives along these lines per visit, so you've got to go to the volcano stage, and you've got, like, five different tasks to do before you're done. In Adventure mode, it's a lot more bite-sized. You get singular missions, maybe two and one, I don't know, and you have to complete the goal with some kind of condition in place. Adventure mode is actually pretty complicated. That's when a lot of people start sinking their time into Hyrule Warriors. You have this grid that recreates the Zelda 1 world, and not only do you have to complete the mission in each square, sometimes you have to do it in a certain way to get all the goodies from it. And they've added more and more maps over time, especially in Legends. And you have to do these maps if you want every last character in the game, every last weapon, all the bonus costumes, and so on and so forth. Playing this game, I've jokingly compared it to Parenthood, how every time you turn around, there's a new problem to deal with, and everything seems to go wrong all at once, and you're the only one who can do anything about it. Like I said, it's a pretty stressful game. I've played both the Wii U and 3DS versions, so reliving certain stressful levels was a tough pill to swallow. Sometimes you get that in games where there's that one level that makes you not want to go back and play it no matter how much you enjoyed the rest of the game. And then you play it anyway, and then when you get to that one part, you just kind of hate yourself a little bit. I had a few of those when I played Hyrule Warriors. But being such a love letter to the Zelda series, especially with the newer versions of the game, I can't find it in me to look down on Hyrule Warriors. When you're not cutting swaths through the enemy armies with your Zelda character of choice, there's also a crafting system. Beating certain enemies in the levels will give you materials that are unique to that enemy, or character, and you can use those to make items. Pretty straightforward, lots of games have something like that. 
These items aren't like the usual Zelda items, though, even if they're named after some of them. They're supplements to your character. These items will make it easier to capture an enemy base, or they'll extend the length of certain techniques, they'll let you carry potions, uh, basic but important practical stuff like that. Regular items do exist, though, like the bow and arrows, the bombs, a lot of the classics. They're not really for fighting, though. They're just useful in getting around certain obstacles. When you want to fight with them, you have to do it on the right giant boss. That's one of the things from Zelda that they keep in this game and makes it more familiar, is you've got the big Dodongo, you got to throw the bombs in his mouth, just like you always do, and stuff like that. It's a nice touch, and it keeps it from being Dynasty Warriors Zelda Edition, even though that's what it is most of the rest of the time. Originally, the character roster was kind of limited in regards to representing the Zelda series. You had original versions of some of the mainstays like Link and Zelda. That's to say that they weren't from past Zelda games, they were brand new Link and Zelda, straight out of Nintendo's creativity for Hyrule Warriors. You also get a few brand new characters who aren't referenced to any game there. Well, I guess you could say that they are references to past games. In fact, I think that was actually what they wanted to do. They wanted to invoke certain characters or monsters without actually bringing them back. The only real guests, though, were Zelda characters from Ocarina of Time, Twilight Princess, and Skyward Sword. But thanks to DLC, which can rub people the wrong way, They've gotten better about it. They've eventually added Majora's Mask characters, and then with Hyrule Warriors Legends, they add another original character, but they also add more Majora's Mask characters. They started including characters, monsters, and levels from Wind Waker, even. And after that, they went on to reference Link's Awakening, Spirit Tracks, and a few characters from A Link Between Worlds, on top of even more weapons and items. And with the Switch version, they're even adding costumes for Link and Zelda based on what they wore in Breath of the Wild. So who knows, maybe we'll see the champions enter the fray as fightable characters? Eh, but really, they started off pretty weak representing the Zelda games, but now Hyrule Warriors has just become this big jamboree of different Zelda games. And it's not just the fightable characters, which is a term I'm gonna stand by. I might have slipped and said that word, but I'm gonna commit to it, because technically you can fight the playable characters based on which mission you're in. But yeah, it's not just the fightable roster. You've also got the different weapons. You've got almost every recurring Zelda item making an appearance in one form or another. Maybe they'll be part of a character's moveset, or there'll be a puzzle item, or a supplementary item. In the fairy mode in Legends, they reference a lot of the edible items from throughout the Zelda games. Even some of the lesser used things, like the spinner from Twilight Princess, that gets a chance to shine here and be one of Link's more fun-to-use weapons. That was actually how I bought my first pair of amiibo, Link and Toon Link, because either one would unlock the spinner in this game. And, oh, amiibo, that's a rabbit hole that I fell into, but that's for another episode. And don't forget the costumes. Several characters get alternate costumes and color palettes to better reference different games and characters who couldn't make it. Even most of the original characters, like I said, they're some way, shape, or form a reference to the original series. 
And the cherry on top, they even referenced Link's crossbow training, that one Wii Zapper game that only four people ever played. One of the newcomers in Legends uses a crossbow, and they upgrade it to look like the one that Link used in that game. I'm gonna say it, Hyrule Warriors feels like more of a proper Zelda game than Breath of the Wild to me. Sure, that game might harken back to open-endedness of Zelda 1, but this game is a love letter to everything the series has built upon since then. Earlier, I briefly mentioned Legends Mode. It's the story campaign, and it's not bad, but... They really just wrote the plot around the need to feature different Zelda characters cutting loose. An evil witch's army invades Hyrule, and one of the soldiers, Link, makes a name for himself with his courage in battle. He's made one of the elites in the army as the Hyrulean, or Hylian, I'm never quite sure what the distinction is, but the good guys strike back. It turns out the witch has feelings for Link and the Triforce gets involved, Ganondorf shows up at one point. It's all kind of standard when you think about it, but it's fun to play through the story, and this is honestly one of my favorite versions of Ganondorf. He's become one of my favorite Zelda characters as I've grown older. And then there's the side story where you take control of the witch, and it shows how she first met her henchmen. Then in Legends, they add two more stories. There's the side story starring a girl named Linkle who believes that she's Link. Her levels generally make use of the underutilized characters in story mode, and they expand on a few of the plot details. And then there's the post-story arc involving the Wind Waker characters, and it also wraps up a few things that were left unfinished in the main story. I can only imagine whether or not they'll feel like expanding the story even further in the Switch version. Honestly, the whole thing feels like a Zelda fanfiction, but that's kind of what Hyrule Warriors was to begin with, so I don't think there's anything wrong with that, if you ask me. With games like these, I feel like the roster is a big deal. The game ends up being a celebration of the Zelda series, so it's good to represent the cast that Zelda has cultivated, picking meaningful characters while also diversifying the roster and keeping everything fun. It's a lot like Super Smash Bros. that way. I'm gonna go over the whole cast and talk about my opinions of them, maybe not from a gameplay standpoint, but just kinda what I think of the character and their presence in the game, there are a lot of characters, so I'm gonna try to keep this as fast as I can, don't worry. And, you know, I'm not a Warriors fan, I'm a Zelda fan, so of course I'm not really gonna be intimate with the different combo knowledge and the pro strats. But just a heads up, there are going to be spoilers for different Zelda games from here on out, so you've been warned. So to start us off, we have Link, the version of him that was created for Hyrule Warriors. He's a pretty fun character, kind of standard, as you would expect from the main character in a game like this, but I had fun playing as him, and I like the scarf that they gave him. A lot of people seem to like the scarf, and I'm included in that. They kind of tried to give him a character arc in the Legends mode, with him getting too big for his britches as soon as he finds the Master Sword. I felt like that part kind of went over my head, it didn't really feel earned, but... It made for some neat bonding moments, I guess. Then we get Zelda. She's also playable in this kind of game, as one would expect of warriors. 
she kind of fights as I would expect her to fight. She makes use of light arrows and royal rapier. And she also has Sheik. At one point in the story, she transforms into Sheik and fights like a ninja. So that kind of makes Zelda one of the more accomplished characters. She's mastered two different fighting styles. Now, this isn't like Smash Brothers, where she can change back and forth between Zelda and Sheik. The game treats them as completely different entities, like in, well, the fourth Smash Brothers, I guess. And honestly, Sheik feels kind of wedged in, like they just wanted to take advantage of the fact that Sheik was used in Smash Brothers, so they put Sheik in Hyrule Warriors. And since this Sheik is original to Hyrule Warriors Zelda, then I'm guessing this should be counted as an original character and not an Ocarina of Time character. Even though I think it's a nice nod that Sheik is the character who visits the Ocarina of Time stages during Legend Mode. Impa, I believe she was the second character introduced. She seems to kind of take cues from the Skyward Sword version of her, but she's a lot more militaristic as kind of the captain of Zelda's guard, but she's always been one of Zelda's chief caretakers, so that's always understandable. Lana, one of the completely original characters, one of the only ones that I can't really trace back to an existing Zelda character. She looks like this weird pop idol. I don't really like her appearance, but her role in the story is alright, and she's got fun moves. I don't really have any problems with her, but she didn't leave a big impact on me either. Sia, the witch, and Lana's evil counterpart, she... I didn't really get much experience with her because I didn't play much of her story mode. She looks ridiculous, though. Like, wow. She makes Camilla from Fire Emblem Fates look conservative in comparison. This outfit of hers is almost not an outfit at all. I think it's caused a lot of uproar in the fan base, and it feels kind of lame that that's what I choose to focus on when I talk about Sia, but honestly, she was kind of underwritten in the scenes that I was exposed to, and like I said, I didn't get to play as her very often. Volga, this big dragon knight, he's a big reference to the fire dragon in Ocarina of Time, but in human form, though he is said to be a dragon person. He was kind of cool, very tough to fight whenever he was an enemy, but I don't mind him as, you know, as a concept. He seemed alright. Wizro, this ghost that looks like the Poe monsters, but is named similarly to the Wizrobe monsters. He's like the most evil of the Sia Volga Wizro trio, but he's also just a lackey. I don't really have a high opinion of him, he's just kind of a monster. His playstyle seemed kind of weird, I didn't really have much of a chance to play as him. And he kind of leaves the story first out of the three of them. Which, eh, I don't mind. They don't all have to make the last stand together. Then there's Ganondorf. Just like Link and Zelda, this Ganondorf is original for Hyrule Warriors. And he's one of my favorite Ganondorfs. He's usually the same guy when he shows up in games, so I don't know if this one is supposed to be connected to other Ganondorfs. And honestly, I'm not sure of this Ganondorf's lore. I feel like there are some details that I missed that confused me, but he, he was fun to control, and 
just that arrogance of his that's almost justified because of how strong he is and the way the game uses Ganondorf as a playable character to get the plot going into the darkest hour, it's actually kind of a fresh take that I don't mind. Ganondorf was pretty fun. I didn't like his big ol' swords, but after Legends introduced his trident, that was a little more my speed. As for Ocarina of Time, they introduced two of the sages from that game as playable characters, Darunia, the Goron chief, and Ruto, the Zora princess. Darunia was fun. He's, I liked him in Ocarina of Time, and I'm glad that he's in this game, swinging around his big ol' hammer. It's actually a nice reference to the fact that the hammer was found in the Goron dungeon during the adult half of Ocarina of Time. And Ruto, I'm not really sure what her fighting style was kind of supposed to be. I didn't play as her as much, but it was pretty fun to just use her water magic and just, you know, show her that just because she's royalty and likes to be carried around, she knows how to throw down with the rest of them. I mean, she is a sage, so she knows what she's doing. Of the three original games to be featured in Hyrule Warriors, Twilight Princess seemed to get out the best of it. They got Midna, who was your imp assistant in that game, and she was very popular, so I'm not really surprised to see her here. I think she was the first guest character to be revealed. You get Zant, who was the villain of that game, besides Ganondorf, and he gets a lot of crazy moments. I actually really like what they did with Zant here. He went from being chilling and creepy to being weird and insane, and a lot of people were turned off by that in Twilight Princess. Here, they seem to kind of better balance his two personality traits, so he's a lot more enjoyable, I think. And then they include Agatha, who was this little girl who was rich, and you gave her fancy bugs to get money, and that was a side quest, and now she's a fighter and Hyrule Warriors for some reason. I don't know, and I didn't play as her very often, but she's the only choice in the roster that really has me baffled, and eh, the other characters are pretty good, so I don't care that much. The DLC also added Midna's alternate form from the end of the game, and it's kind of interesting to think of what they do to make her a fighter, because she only appeared that way for a few minutes at the end of Twilight Princess, so now they have to make a whole new moveset for her, but it actually works out. From Skyward Sword, we have Fi, who is your weird robot sword ghost, and she was a lot of people's least favorite part of Skyward Sword, myself included. She was kind of a mascot, in my opinion, of Nintendo's mentality of always holding the player's hand and coddling them and reminding them of obvious information and stuff like that. It might not be her fault exactly, but she was the face of that for me and a lot of people, so she left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. But now that she doesn't have to do that in Hyrule Warriors, they were free to kinda play up different parts of her character. Not a whole lot. She's mostly out of the way, but I don't mind that, and her playstyle was pretty fun, so I feel like they made Fi better in Hyrule Warriors. And the fact that there are more versions of Hyrule Warriors than Skyward Sword does a bit to help her overall reputation, I would hope. They also have Girahim, who is 
more or less the main villain of Skyward Sword, and one of my favorite parts of that game. I was glad to see him in this game. Always happy to see more of him. I doubt he'll show up in any future Zeldas, but you know what? I'll take constantly reappearing in the different versions of Hyrule Warriors over nothing. His playstyle was a little hard for me to grasp, I still don't have it entirely figured out, but he's one of the villains I usually gravitate towards. From Majora's Mask, we have Young Link, so they're kinda taking a page from the Super Smash Brothers games by calling the different versions of Link based on what Smash Brothers called them. Young Link fights basically as himself, but when he fills up one of his meters, he'll switch to the Fierce Deity, which was his most powerful form that you got at the end of Majora's Mask if you gave away all 20 masks. And it's really powerful and cool looking, and it has the voice clips of Adult Link from Ocarina of Time, but it only lasts until the meter drains and then you're back to Young Link. And I know there are some kind of strategies you could do to keep it so that your meter never really runs out, but you know, I'm not a Warriors player, so I never really figured it out. And then they also added Tingle, you know, the weird balloon guy who sold you maps and then went on to appear in more Zelda games, and American players hated Tingle while Japanese players loved him. He's in this game, and while a lot of people were outraged by that, I kinda really see it as a perfect fit. Of course he would show up, he's one of the most recurrent characters alongside Link, Zelda, and Ganon. He even got some of his own spin-off games. And the fact that he plays a lot like one of the silliest characters, and the writing seems to kinda acknowledge that he's a goof, it shows a bit of self-awareness, and I like to hope that people are more receptive of Tingle now, kind of like when they added the Duck Hunt dog in Super Smash Brothers. Now let's get to the characters that were introduced in Hyrule Warriors Legends. These characters were also able to be transferred over to the Wii U version, and of course they're all going to show up in the Switch version. Let's start with Linkle, another original character. She's that girl who thinks that she is the hero of this era. It's kind of a silly concept. They, they play her for laughs, but... She's pretty earnest when you get down to it, and her moves are fun. She has crossbow fighting, and she also has combat boots. Both styles are pretty fun. I don't know if I really prefer one over the other. She was based off a idea that there was a little sister to Link, but they kind of changed it around once they actually implemented her. She was going to be in the first Hyrule Warriors, but then they decided not to, but... She was popular enough that I guess they decided to go ahead and give her her own full-fledged debut in Legends. Okay, I'm, I'm fine with that. She's alright. The name Linkle really stinks, though. We get Tetra from The Legend of Zelda Wind Waker. She was the pirate captain who ended up being Zelda. And in this game, she's Tetra all the time. And that that feels more real to me anyway. really like to see her flintlock pistol combat style. Really, you're making use of firearms in Zelda, how about that? Except, well, this is going to go for a lot of the characters going forward, but I haven't spent a lot of time with the Legends editions because I didn't get to a lot of the new content in Legends. I mostly just played around with them a little bit in the Wii U version, but 
Petra was pretty fun, and she seems to be one of the most important new additions as far as cutscenes are concerned. You have King Daphne's Snowhansen Hyrule, who is the king in Wind Waker. The king himself has joined the fight, and he does a lot of weird water magic, and sometimes he turns into the boat because he was also the boat in Wind Waker. Wasn't really expecting him to show up, but I'm glad that he did. You also get Toon Link, so, you know, Link from that game. And in Smash Brothers, they call him Toon Link, so he's Toon Link here, too. It kind of, it's, it's just a silly name, but I, I guess it's grandfathered in now that he's Toon Link. That's just what we have to call him whenever a different Link is around. He's mostly Wind Waker based, but they give him an item in a later DLC that makes him fight like Spirit Tracks Link, who was not related to Toon Link, but, you know, Spirit Tracks is kind of based on Phantom Hourglass, which was a sequel to Wind Waker, so it's kind of connected, and it blurs the line over which Toon Link this is supposed to be, but... I'm not gonna make a fuss over it. I'm just glad that he got another weapon and that Spirit Tracks is getting some love. Now we have Skull Kid from Majora's Mask, and he's wearing Majora's Mask. He's the antagonist of that game, and a lot of people wanted him to appear in the Wii U version instead of Young Link and Tingle, but at least he appeared at all. It's kind of a shame that Skull Kid is most well-known for wearing Majora's Mask and being evil because of it. Because, honestly, he's just a harmless prankster who got in over his head and the artifact started taking him over. But, you know, that's his signature look now. Hey, it's just a, you know, just a side game, and he doesn't seem to be too evil from what little I saw of him in Linkle's story mode. So I guess there's really nothing too much to worry about. It's weird that he didn't really have much plot relevance. He showed up before the other guest characters did, chronologically, so there's just the Skull Kid wearing this evil mask in the original Hyrule Warriors setting. It's, it just raises a lot of questions. Another Wind Waker character they added, I think she was just kind of a pre-order bonus, I don't quite remember, is Medley. She was this little bird girl from Wind Waker. No, I, I already said she's from Wind Waker, but, you know, I'm on a roll, and now I ruined it to point that out. Way to go, Alex. Anyway, Medley was the Earth Sage. She was one of the two characters that Link cooperatively explored a dungeon with, and now she's in Hyrule Warriors, which is okay, I guess. I never really had a problem with Medley. I preferred Makar, the little chubby tree baby, but, eh, I'll take it. One of the most surprising additions is Marin, the girl from Link's Awakening. She was the red-headed girl who, well, in Super Smash Brothers, she was depicted with a harp in her trophy, but she never really played the harp. She was a singer. And now she goes around swinging this big old bell that you captured from one of the dungeons in that game. Marin has no plot significance in Hyrule Warriors Legends, as far as I remember. I mean, she was a DLC character, so of course not, but hey, I'm happy to see her in another game. We also get Toon Zelda. So yeah, the Toon name is alive and well. She fights like her Spirit Tracks counterpart in that she's a ghost and she haunts a suit of armor. Kind of cool and original, I like that. Cosmetically, 
I don't know why they decided to emphasize Toon Zelda's lips, but it's really a small detail. I don't care that much. This version of Toon Zelda being the ghost who fights with her suit of armor, that's something I actually wanted to see in Smash Brothers at one point. Though Zelda's moveset in that game involving the suit of armor just kind of took that away from me. So, hey, at least Hyrule Warriors Legends could pick up the slack. And then, finally, from A Link Between Worlds, we get Ravio, the rabbit mask salesman with all his weird items. He only fights with a hammer, though. So he's kind of like Darunia in that way, and that he also fights with a hammer, but their styles are different enough. And we get Yuga, the sorcerer who trapped people in paintings. And, uh, well, I... I guess he makes sense, you know, he was a very prominent threat in that game, or at least the first half of the game. He is the villain of A Link Between Worlds, so I don't mind. I thought he was kind of the poor man's Girahim, and now they're in a game together. You know, it's kind of weird to see Yuga and Ravio in this game, because they're not as cartoonishly stylized as they were in A Link Between Worlds. So now we kind of see them next to everyone else, then again, I guess if I want to make that complaint, I should also complain about the Wind Waker characters looking cartoony next to everyone else, but, eh, you know, preferences. So, uh, let's wrap it up with today's favorite songs. Honestly, a lot of the music in this game is the same. Basically, rock remixes of past Zelda themes to get you pumped up because this game is very high on the adrenaline scale. So there's not a lot of distinction, but I still have my favorites. I'm partial to Eclipse of the Sun for how dang dramatic it sounds sometimes. I also like Focal Line because of a very empowering sequence near the end of Legend Mode. And I also like the Mulgara remix from the 3DS version. It's a remix of one of the fan-favorite boss themes in Wind Waker, and I think they knew because they added it in this game, while a lot of the other boss themes didn't. For as much gushing as I've done over Hyrule Warriors, though, I'm gonna admit something. I feel a little irritated at the Switch version. I bought this game twice, because I love Zelda, and I like to support my favorite company. And I thought, hey, I want the definitive Hyrule Warriors experience. Why not? And then this happens. It was no secret that the Wii U sold horribly. But I felt like Hyrule Warriors was a good step in trying to give people a reason to buy it. But money talks, and the 3DS almost prints money, so they made a 3DS version of the game. Alright, fair enough. Yeah, at least it's portable, so there's that. I think that's around the time I finally noticed that Nintendo had given up on the Wii U, because I was one of the last holdouts thinking that maybe the Wii U could turn things around. And now they decide to make a Switch version, and they even call it the Definitive Edition on the title, nakedly confessing that the Wii U and 3DS versions aren't the full, pure Hyrule Warriors experience. And the Switch can be portable, so there's really no reason to buy the 3DS version over this one, unless you really don't want a Switch for some reason. And even so, you're not going to have the definitive version, because they put definitive right on the Switch version's title! It's a little aggravating, honestly, I'm considering not even buying it. There's time for me to change my mind, though. Maybe if they reference more Zelda games than they already are, but this game would be a low priority. 
And hey, plenty of people will get their first chance to play Hyrule Warriors because of this. So, it's more for them than it is for me, as much as I don't want it to be the case, because, you know, I want my loyalty to be rewarded, but, you know, that's not how business works. And hey, it keeps Hyrule Warriors relevant. If enough people play the game and love it, maybe they'll make a Hyrule Warriors 2. They already made Fire Emblem Warriors, so who knows. But that wraps it up for today's episode. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing to the BitCast and share it with your friends. The BitCast episodes are also available on iTunes, so there's that. And with that, I'll see you on the next one. Listen to BitCast anytime on podcast1.com and on the Podcast One app.